So, Father, very simply and very boldly, we pray this prayer. Would you speak in power from your word? Would you cause us to believe? Would you cause us to trust? Would you cause us to be changed because you are God and because we need you? Father, we pray that you would accomplish all of this today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. If you haven't already, please take a Bible. Turn to the book of 2 Timothy. Book of 2 Timothy. So here at Redeemer, we're beginning a new sermon series uh, through the book of 2 Timothy. Uh, that's kind of how we preach, how we do things here. Uh, but I think we've, we've been doing this for eight years. And I think more than ever, this conviction that sermons don't change people, but God changes people. That conviction is very, very real and tangible to us right now. So I'm very aware that you could come here for the next three or four months and sit in this room as I talk and completely miss Jesus and completely miss the Lord and completely miss what he's saying. I'm also very aware that you can open your Bible and dive deeply into 2 Timothy and that God will meet you there and that he'll speak to you there and that he'll change you and it might have nothing to do with anything that's ever said from up here. And that doesn't matter. Because what matters is that God's people hear God's word, trust God's son, and follow him. And that's what we're after. That's what we're yearning for. So this series through 2 Timothy is just a, a, a reminder to us that we need God's word. So here's my plea. Yeah, come on. Come every Sunday. We're going to be talking about 2 Timothy. But more than that, open your Bible and read 2 Timothy. If you don't own a Bible, take that black one that's underneath the chair in front of you. Take it with you. I saw somebody leaving earlier with two. I was like, I guess he just wants a lot of 2 Timothy. So... That wasn't a joke, that was serious. Um, you can take two even. We're going to stop at three though, okay? Take it, open it, read it. You can pray a very simple prayer like this. Father in heaven, would you meet with me? Would you speak to me? Would you teach me from your word? I believe God is eager to answer that prayer. Eager to answer that prayer. And so that's what we would love for you uh, to pray with us this morning. And beyond this morning, as you take Timothy and read it. So this is the opening of 2 Timothy. It's the first uh, seven verses of chapter 1. Honestly, these are the parts that most of us skip. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, right? But we look at that and we go, Paul, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he wrote it. Timothy, yep, writing to Timothy, got that. All that, like, warm, fuzzy stuff. Don't need that. Spirit of fear, power, love. So, okay, let's talk about that. That's, that's how we tend to read the Scripture. And I think if we do that, we miss something that's very profound. 
And what's very profound in these seven verses is how much Paul has grown to love Timothy and how much Timothy has grown to love Paul and it's all because of the power of the gospel at work in their relationship. So what we miss if we skip over sections of the scripture like this, what we miss is the gospel power and personal connection work together to accomplish the will of God in the building of His church. Gospel power and personal connection work together in the building of God's church and the building of God's kingdom. It's no accident that as Paul was sent by God to build a church, he raised up Timothy, yes, for the functional matter of of building and pastoring a church, but in that, the man Paul, who knew God and was loved by God, invested in the man Timothy, who knew God and was loved by God, and the power of the gospel at work in that means that God used Paul to build Timothy, and God used Timothy to build Paul, and we are often means to the end of God making a profound gospel impact in the lives of others. People. I want to say that one more time, God often, regularly, almost normally, accomplishes His gospel purposes by investing in people through the life and love and ministry of other people. And if we miss that means to the end, we miss how we fit into God's church how we fit in to God's mission, and how we fit in to the work that God's doing around the world. So, the main point for the sermon gospel power and personal connection work together for the work of God to build his church and to build his kingdom. First point, if you're of the note-taking crowd, shared faith. Shared faith. And I'm intending to play off the word shared in many ways. But the first five verses, the beginning of this book, is from a, it's written from a man named Paul to a man named Timothy. And what it's infused with is their faith in Christ and how the, the, the faith in Christ that was shared between them created this deep personal bond where it was God working through Paul and Timothy's life and Timothy, God working through Timothy and Paul's life. And so we see this interplay of gospel power and personal connection being used to bear much fruit for the kingdom of God. So, so let's read this with this deeply personal mindset at work. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve 
as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, as I remember your tears. That was where Timothy's tears for Paul. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. I hope you hear just welling up is this intense personal connection. Not just an empty personal connection, but a personal connection infused with the gospel, a personal connection shaped by Jesus, and a personal connection that is a part of the faith of Paul and of the faith of Timothy. I hope you hear that. And I think I am guilty of, and many of us are guilty of, only thinking of the gospel through this lens of truth and relationship with God, which those are hugely important. The word is truth. Relationship with God is what Jesus came to purchase. But as that gospel works its way out, often its work includes other people in giving and receiving for the glory of God. So we have this deeply, intensely personal moment. And the question is, why does Paul include this deeply, intensely personal stuff? We could say, well, because that was just how letters were written back then. And that's actually what a lot of people say. Yeah, Paul just included that because that's how letters are written. You say who you are, who you're writing to, you give a greeting, and then you give a thanksgiving. Okay, But if you're prone to say, oh, well, there's nothing really special here, that's just how letters are written, I would ask you to turn over to the book of Galatians. Because you could follow those conventions of the time with no heartfelt anything. So I want to convince you that there's something intense going on here by showing you another way to follow the conventions of the day. Paul, an apostle, to the churches of Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. I'm just saying that there's a way to follow the conventions and cut to the chase. And therefore, what Paul's doing here is intensely personal and intensely meaningful. And we have to ask the question, why the personal moment? I, I think the answer is... That the relationship that Paul and Timothy shared was an important part of the gospel work that God had done in their lives. And that the gospel power at work in Paul's life, Timothy was an important part of that. And the gospel work in Timothy's life that God had done, Paul was an important part of that. And gospel power and personal connection are working together to as means of God to accomplish what God is intending to accomplish. So if we take this seriously, then what that means for us is when we think about ministry, we think about relationships inside the church. We think about discipleship. We think about 
evangelism, we think about mission, taking the gospel outside the church, we will not think through the lens of, I have a product to deliver like Amazon. I have something and you need it, and so I'm going to push it to you. But rather, we will think through the lens of, God has redeemed me personally so that I personally can step into your world and be a minister of the grace of God in your life, understanding that gospel power often flows through real, deep, lasting, personal connection. We can't take the personal out of the gospel ministry. Because God works through people for the good of people. And the personal connection and the gospel power are always working together. Think of how you came to the faith. Did you read a billboard and go, that's it, I believe? Or did someone bring the message to you and based upon your relationship with them, upon your friendship with them, upon some type of connection with them, You heard and you received. Think about a time within the church that you've been spoken to and challenged in the faith where God really worked, where He really brought you to that moment of transformation. Did it come because somebody mailed, like somebody just wrote on a card, repent, and held it up? Or did it come because God worked in His people to bring truth to bear? through other people where his gospel power was working through personal connection, whereby these things are all part of what God does. So if we take seriously this idea that God works through people and that gospel power and real lasting personal connection flow together into the same stream, if we take this seriously, I think there are two real implications for us. One, When we think about mission, when we think about going outward with the gospel, we will stop thinking of those who are far from God as projects to whom we need to give something. And we will think of them as people who need Jesus. And Jesus reveals himself often through his His people going out and building real and lasting and tangible relationship because gospel power and personal connection flow together into the same stream. We will think of our lives are called to be poured out as a part of God's gospel going forward. Here's a second implication that cuts in the other direction. So I believe in mission, we as Christians are often guilty of detaching the personal from the gospel and just wanting to deliver the goods rather than attaching all of who we are to the message. Here's the other tendency I see in evangelical world. Inside the church, we want Christian friends. We want moral friends. We want good relationships. We want to feel cared for and loved and we want to be tight and cozy, but we often want to divorce those personal relationships from the power of the gospel. And God is going to sanctify us and build us as his people where gospel power and this interpersonal connection is working together. 
And so if you divorce your relationship to me from the power of the gospel, then all you get is me, and that is a problem. If a bunch of sinful people, all we have is just one another, we miss the point. But in this, if this connection is real, then what we will see is gospel power met with personal connection is where God's work rolls forward the most. And when that is the case, that will be where God bears the most fruit through us. I'm sorry, um, the pastor brought his technology up here and forgot to put it on Do Not Disturb. And I'm now getting blown up about something that doesn't matter. So give me a moment. So I believe that what we see in this life of Paul and Timothy is a call to say, yes, I want to minister the gospel, but I want to do so through personal relationships and through personal connection and through interpersonal conventions because that's how God often bears fruit and builds his kingdom. Perhaps you're wondering in verse 5, what's the deal with Lois and Eunice and ancestors and all of that? Well, first of all, here's the deal. Paul says he got his faith from his ancestors. He says Timothy had the faith passed on to him from a faithful grandmother who passed it on to a faithful mother who passed it on to him. So a nice pastoral aside here would be, parents, do not neglect the role that God would have you play in your children coming to know him. And church, do not downplay the missional influence of our children hearing and believing the gospel. But there's something else here, I think. Has a parent ever wanted their kid to know Jesus in the detached, I just want to give them the facts because I have goods to deliver kind of way? Of course not. How do you think Lois loved Eunice and Eunice loved Timothy if it were not with the love of a grandmother and a mother? And those loves are personal. They're deep. When they are broken, we are broken. When they are joyful, we are joyful. We want our kids to know and believe the gospel because we want them to be blessed eternally and we want that with every fabric of our being, not just so we can check a box and pass a good over to the next person so they can pass it on to somebody else. There's a deep sense in this grandmother to mother to Timothy in us longing for our kids to know the gospel. It's somewhat the quintessential example of how gospel power and personal connection work together for God's glory. And we need both. We need both. And so when I look at the modern church, I see us guilty of in mission taking the personal out, and I see us within the church elevating the personal Beyond the fact of realizing that if it's not the gospel that's at work in our relationships and it's not the gospel that's convicting and the gospel that's changing and the gospel that's given us a bond, we really don't have a bond that's going to last. So we, I think, are called on by Paul to see how these two things fit together and not be afraid of the personal because we want to be so right about the truth and most certainly not devoid the need of the gospel just because we're pursuing relationship. But gospel power, personal connection, working together is how God builds his church and builds his kingdom. Now, the follow-up question might be, how do we do that? That seems hard. 
Parenting's hard. It's really easy to go over to my neighbor and knock on his door and talk to him about how awful the associational um, penalties and fines are in our neighborhood. It's really easy at the baseball field to cuddle up to somebody and talk about how awful, how awful the umpires are, or perhaps when I'm not coaching, of course, how terrible the coaching is. But it's much harder to walk into such an encounter and to intentionally and prayerfully do so as an ambassador for Christ wanting to bear the fruit of the gospel in that conversation. It's really easy to have church folks over and celebrate the Super Bowl together or, or have whatever type of fun that you want to have. And while my face doesn't show it, I'm all for fun and you should have as much of it as you can. But our, our, our fun is nothing if our relationships aren't infused with the power of the gospel. And to be that person in the gathering that wants to, to bring the power of the gospel to bear on the complaining or the hurting or the grieving or whatever's going on is often a challenging reality. So how do we do that? I believe verses 7 and 8, or excuse me, 6 and 7, help us think that through. The answer is the power of the Spirit who is at work in us to bring the gospel to bear everywhere. The answer is the power of the Spirit who is in us to enable us to bring the gospel to bear everywhere. So Paul says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now, first, let's do a little Bible study before we do application, okay? Bible studies. Verses 6 and 7, Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul was a pastor, a pastor of pastors, and Timothy was a pastor. And so when Paul says, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, most notably and most pointedly, he's speaking of Timothy's calling to lead and shepherd and teach and preach a church. And then, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, he's speaking of a time in the life of Timothy where he was formally set apart for the work of ministry in a church. And then the promise and the encouragement to Timothy of how he can fan this gift into flame is because God has not given Timothy a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. So in essence, what Timothy is being told is that the Spirit of God dwelling in him will enable him to do everything that God is calling him to do. That's what Timothy's being promised. So, there's an easy, quick application here that lets a bunch of us off the hook. And it would be, if you have been called of God, set apart for the task of leading a church, then Fan the flame that God has put in you and believe that the Spirit will enable you to do everything that God calls you to do. And if I stop there, then 90% of this room can go, huh, nothing there for me. Come back next week. But before I leave that, 
I do want to put this out there. We don't talk this way a lot here at Redeemer, but I want to put this out there. It is very likely that some of you right now, God could be stirring in your life to be set apart and called to the specific work of building and leading the church of Jesus. And if God's stirring that, man, we'd love to be a part of that conversation. We'd love to pray with you. And, and the next few months in 2 Timothy are going to be fun and good and scary and joyful. But we would love to be a church that's sending people out left and right to plant churches and build churches and revitalize churches. And God does that by raising up men who are called to preach and teach and lead the church. Now, but we don't get off the hook here. And here's why. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says, If we belong to Jesus, we all are ambassadors for Christ. Every one of us is God's ambassador. Ephesians 4.20, by the way, both of these are written by the same Paul, says that those who are called and set apart to lead churches as pastors and elders, they have been called and set apart for the purpose of equipping all the saints, that's all the Christians, for the work of ministry. So there is a secondary informal sense in which this passage is speaking to every one of us because if we belong to Jesus, the gift of being God's ambassador has been placed in us. Every single one of us. And the promise that God will be with us to do everything that He's called us to do is for us as well. And so there's something for us in verses 6 and 7, just like there's something for us in verses 1 through 5. If gospel power and personal, interpersonal connectivity is part of how God builds His church, then every single one of us has a calling to be an ambassador for Christ and a minister for Christ to build the church and build His kingdom and take the gospel outward on mission. And if that is the case, what we need more than anything is to believe that God has called us to do it, fan the flame, and believe that His Spirit is with us to help us do everything that He's called us to do. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So I want to end by looking at verse 7. Believing that in some way it's for every single one of us. Now let me be really clear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 could become a lot of bad, inappropriate Christian art. Like, you ever notice that, that Christians are really prone to misquote and misapply Scripture freely and then put it on things like pillowcases? If not, go to Opry Mills this afternoon. It'll blow your mind and it might just make you angry. I didn't write these in my notes and I can't think of any of them right now, but it's, but it's really bad. But, but so, for example, like, like Philippians 4.16, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, has nothing to do with athletics. Nothing. Unless it means I can endure suffering for the cause of Christ while participating in athletics, and I might win or lose either way. See, it has nothing to do with athletics. But, but my Christian college, they asked the women's basketball team, what's your favorite Bible verse? 12 out of 15, Philippians 4.16. It got nothing to do with, with your national championship. Nothing. Nothing. Man, this, this verse right here could make all kinds of bad bumper stickers, right? Like the Hunters Association, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fire away, baby. 
Not what Paul is talking about at all. Power, we have the power. Misapply that all over Twitter all day long. Not what Paul is talking about at all. Here's what Paul is saying. That when we seek to make a gospel impact, there will be a human tendency toward fear and timidity. But the Spirit of God in us will overcome that with power. Meaning, I can't change anyone's heart. God changes people's hearts through the gospel, and He gives the power. Through love, meaning, yeah, I want to build these interpersonal relationships, but my heart is cold, but the Spirit will give me the love to do so. And through self-control, meaning the Spirit will enable me to accurately and faithfully represent Jesus wherever I go. So I'm calling upon you, church, to believe that God is desiring, desirous of us to believe that gospel power and interpersonal connection are how he builds his church and builds his kingdom and believe that the spirit who dwells within us will enable us to carry on in power and love and self-control. Now, I usually look up the original Greek language of passages every week, and usually it's just a waste of time, so I don't bore you with like geeky details. But this one's really important. When it says fear here, for God has not give us, gave, for God gave us not a spirit not of fear. The word fear there does not mean curled up in the corner like a dog who is afraid of a storm. That's not, that's not that kind of fear. That's a fear. But rather, when it, the type of fear that the Greek word here is talking about is of a soldier who's on the front lines and, and just drops his weapon and walks away. It's a type of fear of a soldier who's on the front lines and just drops his weapon and walks away. And when I was reading that this week, I got this picture in my mind. And you know what I saw? I saw Christians like us hearing a sermon like this and charging out of here saying, God wants to use me to build his kingdom. And we walk right up to the precipice of, of engaging with the gospel. And we drop our weapon and we walk away. We all know what I'm talking about. It's a little too close to home, isn't it? So I want you to leave here today with this vision in your mind. When I walk up to the precipice of making a gospel impact in my community group, in my men's Bible study or my women's Bible study, in this church, in my family, in my school, in my workplace, at my neighbor's house, when I walk up to that precipice, I'm going to preach 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 to myself. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. And I will be able to bear fruit in this endeavor because he is with me. I want us to believe that so deeply. that we bear the gospel fruit everywhere and always. I want to end this sermon in this way, and team, you guys can go ahead and come up. 
What made Paul unique? He was called by God according to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus. That's all. What made Timothy unique? He was called by God according to the promise of the life that was in Christ Jesus. What made Lois unique? She was called by God according to the life that was in Christ Jesus. What made Eunice unique? She was called by God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. What sets any of us apart for anything that's good is that we were called by God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. All of this only makes sense if there's life in Christ Jesus and those of us who repent and believe find life in His name. So here at Redeemer, we want to celebrate the gospel by reminding ourselves that we need Jesus, by reminding ourselves that Jesus is His only hope. So if you're here today and you're a Christian, that is, you've professed faith in Christ and you've made that, that faith public to the church, we want to invite you to take the Lord's Supper with us, which is a piece of bread and a cup which represent the body and blood of Christ and through which we testify to how much we need Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not sure if you're a Christian, then all we would ask is that today you would consider Jesus. You would consider the call to know God through Him and that you would let us be a part of what God's doing to draw you to Himself and to work in your life. So if you're not a Christian, we'd ask that you let the bread and the cup pass. But today, we would invite you to Him. So these guys are going to sing. Some men are going to come and pass out the bread and the cup. I'd invite you to sing along, to remember the gospel, to remember the calling to build the kingdom and build the church for the glory of Jesus. And when I come back in a few minutes, we'll take the bread and cup together to testify to our faith in Christ.